Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 8, he says, here's Daniel, but he has the name Belteshazzar according to the name of my God. Why could Nebuchadnezzar, why, could, why didn't you just call him Daniel? That means God is my judge. That's got the name God in it, El, God. Why didn't he just call him that? Why didn't he just say, and then came in Daniel, who's named after El, the true God? Why did he say that? Why did he have to make this point that Daniel's name was after his idol, Bel, Belteshazzar? Why did he have to say that Daniel was given the name of Belteshazzar? I mean, he had an opportunity He had an opportunity to turn, but he wanted to make very clear in this statement that Daniel's God was not his God. He was not going to bow to the God of the Jews that were his prisoners that he had captured. He was not going to bow before the God of the Jews whose temple he destroyed. So he wanted to make this statement publicly that he had not given up the worship of his false god, Bel. Bel was his God. In verse 8, translation says, that Daniel had the spirit of the holy gods. Actually, maybe not. Because Nebuchadnezzar used the Aramaic word which means Elohim, Elohim. So I wouldn't say that Nebuchadnezzar was saying that he had the spirit of the false gods inside of Daniel as he knew better than that. He may have just been saying he had the spirit of God in him. So he addresses Daniel. He says he's the master of the magicians. I'm sure Daniel loved that. But when we see Nebuchadnezzar here falling away from his proclamation that God's the true God, the only God, the highest God, and we see him backsliding into idolatry, it shows that for a Christian, there's only one gear in life. That gear is the gear forward. It's the gear drive. Because for the Christian, there is no neutral. There is no standing still. There's only one going forward, and to stand still is to slide backwards. So we have to keep on going on with God. This is what was emphasized in Hosea 6.3, Hosea 6.3. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar tells his dream, and the dream is all about a tree. He says, behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. The dream is all about a tree. And the tree is right in the middle of the earth. It's a very important tree. It's a very tall tree, in verse 10. The height thereof was great. The tree grew, it was strong. It was so tall, in verse 11, that it says the height thereof reached unto heaven and the sight thereof to all the ends of the earth. So it's like the tree was wanting to reach right to God's throne, just like Satan wanting to overthrow God, just like the people of the Tower of Babel wanting to build their tower that reaches God's throne. This is the tree that was reaching unto heaven. And the tree was also seen from all the earth. It says the tree had a great reputation. And from verse 12, the whole earth ate from the fruit of the tree, and the tree gave a protection 
from the sun. And then there came the turn of events, the disturbing turn of events. This is what made him afraid. This is what made him so troubled because the great change happened as a new person appears on the scene. And this person in verse 13 is called a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. And when he saw this person who he called, when Nebuchadnezzar saw this person who he called a watcher and a holy one, it was very real to Nebuchadnezzar in verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head. It was that tree, he knew that tree represented him. That tree was Nebuchadnezzar. And that person called the watcher and the holy one, we know who that was. That was, again, Jehovah Jesus. How interesting that he is called the watcher. The watcher. You know, we talk about, I'm enjoying my privacy. There's no privacy. There's no privacy from God. God is a watcher. It says in Psalm 139, verse 7, Psalm 139, verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and my, thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. The darkness hideth not from thee and the night shineth as a day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Whatever is a secret sin, whatever people say, what people view as a secret sin, it's an open scandal in heaven. Because God hears it all, God sees it all. And the shout goes out from the watcher. The shout goes out in verse 14. He cried aloud and said thus, hew down the tree, cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, scatter his fruit, let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. He knows the tree represents him. He knows that the shout for the tree to be cut down is bad news for him, that it was talking about him. And he knows this and he's terrified. He's just terrified because the judgment is heard from the Lord. And the judgment is, leave the stump in verse 15. Leave the stump with the roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given him till seven times pass over him. So even though Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know exactly what the dream meant, he knew this was talking about his downfall. He wanted to know, what does this mean? Let a heart of man be taken out and the heart of a beast. Just all you know is it didn't sound good. God has ways to humble men. Now, all this is just simply too overwhelming for him. But even though it's very overwhelming to him, he gains, he harvests, he collects three truths that he learns from it. And the first truth that he learns in verse 17 is the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. And this means that Nebuchadnezzar learned God has not turned his back on this world. The world has not gotten away from God. The world has not spun out of control. When it looks like the world is spinning out of control, it's not. As a matter of fact, when man thinks that he's deposed God and finally freed himself from God, God's response is, he laughs. He laughs, he holds him in derision in Psalm 2, verse 4. Psalm 2, verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have him, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. When man thinks that he has crucified the Lord Jesus out of existence, God laughs. And he says, 
No, I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. That was the first thing that he learned. That God, the most high God, rules in the kingdom of men. The second truth he learned is that, he says, and he giveth it to whomsoever he will. That's what God does. He giveth the, he giveth the rulership among men to whomsoever he will. It's not Democrats, it's not Republicans that are going to determine who's going to be in office. It's the Lord. And just think of God ordaining powers, as it says in Romans 13.1. Romans 13.1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there's no power but of God. The powers that be ordained of God. And the third truth that he's learned is, He setteth it over the basest of men. That's what he said. He setteth the kingdoms, he set the rulers, he setteth over it the basest, he calls the rulers the basest of men. Now, who might that be that he's referring to? Himself. This is nothing less than, as Jim just said, he's saying, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, only Jim added stinking. I didn't ever say that part, you know. But okay, he's dirty, rotten, stinking. I guess rotten stinks. All right, so that's what he is. He's saying he's a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is saying here. The basest of men. And this confession of Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely essential for a person to be saved. Um, I remember one time speaking with um, an older saint over there 30 years ago, and we were over there at the kitchen, and she was telling me about her friend, her relative, she says, uh, was not saved, and she was explaining to me, uh, he's a good person. And so I said, he's a good, dirty, rotten sinner. Okay, so, <laughs> but it's a searching, but this is absolutely essential for a person to be saved, because there's a question that the Lord Jesus asks and the question, he's just asking it a man, but really it's a question which he really poses to everybody. In Luke 18.41, Luke 18.41, this man was calling out to him. In 18.41, Luke 18.41, he says, what wilt thou that I shall do? Well, the man was blind. It seemed obvious. But he said, what do you want me to do? And now Nebuchadnezzar turns to Daniel for the exact interpretation of the dream. And he says in verse 18, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen, now thou... O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation. But thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods, I think it's the spirit of Elohim, is in thee. And now comes Daniel's response, which is in verse 19. And Daniel's response is, as the king reported, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished or astonished for one hour and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The Hebrew word here used for astonished or astonished or astonished is shamem. And the word shamem means to be desolate. When a person refers to like a person, when he sees something, he's so devastated by it that his face turns white and he's in shock. He's pale from the shock. This is the same word, shamim, that's used on the people who saw the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the whip with the irons and the iron and the pieces of bone slashed across his face, tearing the flesh from his face, and it says that those who saw his face were shamim. 
in Isaiah 52, 14. Isaiah 52, 14. As many as were shamem, or astonished, at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his face more than the sons of men. And what Daniel saw, what was going to happen to his friend, Nebuchadnezzar, it so stunned him, it so shocked him, that it turned him white for an hour. For an hour, he's speechless, and he's just there devastated. It reminds me when I'd just been diagnosed with cancer with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma back in 2010, and I called my friend, you all know him, Mike Johnson, and I called Mike up at San Mateo, and you know, Mike and I were really tight friends. I mean, as Mike was the, really one of the first few Christians I met after I was saved in September 1970 when he was teaching a Bible class at San Diego City College. And uh, my wife went down there and met him first and said, uh, go look for my husband. He's a student here. And Mike said, well, how am I going to recognize him? And she said, he has curly hair. Mike and I were the only ones there that had curly hair. I don't know. Mike and I, we spent a lot of time together. I spent a lot of time in Mike's Filipino home till he moved to San Mateo. And Mike had lost his sister Faye and his brother to cancer. And so I was on the phone with Mike. And when I told Mike that I had cancer, Mike just immediately asked me, he said, just wait a minute, I'll be right back. So I'm waiting on the phone. And I'm waiting on the phone. And I'm waiting on the phone. And after a while, I realized, like, it's 15 minutes that I'm waiting on the phone. And I was a little irritated. And Mike came back to the phone, and I was, I was irritated. And I said, Mike, I've been on the phone for 15 minutes. Where have you been for 15 minutes? And I didn't know what Mike was doing. So I asked him, and he said, I went to the bathroom to cry. Because he lost his sister and his brother to cancer, and I told him he had cancer. Now, why did he do that? Because he loves me. And he was so moved when I told him that I had cancer. That's a picture of the love that Daniel has for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was Daniel's friend, was really Daniel's friend. And that's why he was stunned for an hour and he couldn't speak. And you can imagine how Nebuchadnezzar was like me. Maybe he was a little irritated. But why are you sitting there for one hour? You don't say a thing, you turn white. That's the kind of love that God wants us to have for others. You know, when we bring the gospel to a lost person, that person is not just an object. That person is a soul that God loves. And God loves that person so much that that person is included in the word world from the John 3.16 statement, John 3.16, where the Lord said that God so loved the world, that person, that he gave his only begotten son for that person in the world, that whosoever believeth in him, that if that person believes in him, that that person should not, God does not want him, to perish but have everlasting life. In Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what message from heaven was there really about the birth? We talked about the church of the nativity in Israel, Bethlehem. What's the message of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you were to say one central message from the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, what would it be? Titus 3.4. Titus 3.4. After that, the kindness of and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Two words from God that sum up the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, what it means. It means from God, kindness and love. After that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. In this, 1 John 4, 9, 1 John 4, 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. 
because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Actually, Daniel had such a heart of love and care for Nebuchadnezzar. He's an example to us because this is what God wants us to have. He wants us to have that love for the lost, not just a target to the lost, not just as a target to witness to, but as as a soul to break our hearts for. And this is what we see here with the Lord when he saw people in great need. He sees lost multitudes of people with no shepherd to guide them. He has compassion on them. He starts to shepherd them in Matthew 9.36. Matthew 9.36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He doesn't just start to teach them as ignorant people. He first feels the pain of their lostness, the pain of them not being guided. He feels the pain of their doubt, the pain of their insecurity, and he has this compassion on that lost state And it's that compassion that drives him to go and teach and guide those people into the assurance and safety that God has for them. He hears a leper. He hears a leper crying out to him, begging him, kneeling before him for healing and for cleansing from his leprosy. He has compassion on that leper and he heals the leper in Mark 140, Mark 140. There came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. He doesn't just heal and cleanse a leper from his leprosy. He first feels the pain of the slow deterioration of the body, the loss of the fingers and toes, the shame of the frustration of being an outcast, having to proclaim himself as unclean. And that compassion is what drives him to then heal and cleanse the leper. He sees the multitude that have been following him. They have nothing to eat for three days. He has compassion. He takes seven loaves, a few fish, and with those he feeds 4,000 men, and then there were women and children. In Mark 15, 32, Mark 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. He doesn't just feed the thousands with the bread and the fish. He first feels the intensity of their hunger. He has compassion on those hungry people, and it's that compassion that that drives him to feed the hungry people with the few loaves of bread and fish. He sees two blind men. He sees these blind men. They're sitting by the road as he's passing by. He has compassion on them. He makes them see in Mark 20, verse 30. Mark 20, verse 30. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace, but they cried out the more, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Jesus stood still, called them, and said, What wilt thou that I should do unto you? Like we said. They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight, and they followed him. He doesn't just take away their blindness. He first feels the pain of their frustration to be blind. He has compassion on their blind condition. It's that compassion that drives him to heal their blindness. He's crossed the lake. He's come now in a boat. He's just arrived on the shore. He's just getting out of the boat. He hasn't even really got himself settled out on the ground yet. Just getting out of the boat. And all of a sudden, there's a man 
There's a man who presents himself. He's possessed with such a large number of demons that they call themselves legion, and it causes this man to dwell, to live in the cemeteries among the graves. He has his supernatural strength. He's breaking chains. He's cutting himself with stones. And the Lord has compassion on the man and drives out the devils in Mark 5.2. Mark 5.2. When he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him. No, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. Fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tubes, crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto them, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. He doesn't just deliver the man from the devils that were tormenting him. He first feels the pain of this man. He feels with this pain what it's like to live among graves, what it's like to have the pain of, of being cut by stones. And he has this compassion on this man, and it's that compassion that drives him to be free from those devils. And then later, he talks to the man. He talks to the man. The man wants to follow him. He says no. And he tells him, he explains to the man what happened to him. He explains to the man what happened to the man, and he says in Mark 5.18, Mark 5.18, when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, go home to thy friends, Tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. He tells the man who was delivered from the demon possession what happened to him. The Lord just had compassion on you. This is what happened to all these people. God had compassion on the lost who were wandering in darkness. They were guided. God had compassion on the leopard and he healed him and cleansed him from his leprosy. God had compassion on the hungry people who hadn't eaten for three days and he fed them with the loaves and the fishes. He had compassion on the two blind men, and they received their sight. He had, it's all about compassion. Everything's about compassion. And Daniel sits there white-faced and astonished and greatly troubled over Nebuchadnezzar's dream because Daniel had compassion on his friend Nebuchadnezzar. And you and I are only gonna be helped other people if we have first compassion on their need, if we feel their pain in the compassion, if we feel their frustration, if we feel their emptiness, if we feel their lostness with compassion, it's a call from God, come out of the igloo, come out of the igloo to feel with the needy because compassion is the fuel, it's the fuel that runs the engine of care. No compassion, no care. And God is a person of strong compassion and the Lord Jesus is a person of strong compassion and Daniel is a person with strong compassion and this is what it means when we read this, that Daniel sat white-faced and astonished, silent for one hour, in this great state of soul trouble. This is what compassion looks like. And from Romans 12, 15, Romans 12, 15, weep with them that weep. In Job 2, 11, we always talk about Job's friends, oh, how terrible they were. Listen, they were people of compassion. Job 2.11, now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Nemethite, and they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him. That's compassion. Hebrews 13.3, Hebrews 13.3, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body, Daniel. 
I'm a man of compassion. My name is Daniel. Father, we thank you so much for planting within Daniel this, such this tender heart, heart of love and compassion for his friend Nebuchadnezzar. Help us to have the same, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 